0: This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast.
1: You know, the prime minister was away on vacation over the holidays. Uh, there was some chatter because uh, whenever someone doesn't know where someone is, that obviously piques attention and uh, rightly so. And at the end of the day, we find out that uh, he was on a private lo- a private island, that of Aga Khan, uh, old family friend, but also a conflict of interest in the sense that he I guess, took a, uh, flew in into Nassau, into the Bahamas, and then took a, uh, a private aircraft from there, helicopter, uh, to the private island. And why wouldn't you? How else do you get to a private island but on a private aircraft? Uh, Lots are screaming this is a conflict of interest he doesn't think there is to talk more about all of this Duff Conacher is with us, board member with Democracy Watch in Ottawa and on the line with us now. Hi Duff, how are you today? I'm well, how are you? Good, thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Is there a conflict here? How do you see this?
2: Yes, Democracy Watch's opinion is that Prime Minister Trudeau has violated two sections of the Federal Conflict of Interest Act, the Federal Ethics Law.
1: And what are those?
2: Section 11, that says you can't accept any gift that might reasonably be seen to influence you, and that is a pretty high standard. That means just the appearance that it might influence you. And uh, the the gift is given by a friend, yes, the Aga Khan, an old friend of the prime minister's. However, the Aga Khan Foundation lobbies the uh, prime minister's office and the federal government, and... As a result, it's a gift from someone involved in lobbying the prime minister. And according to the ethics commissioner's own guideline on gifts, um, the exception that allows gifts from friends is not allowed to be used if the friend is involved in a lobbying effort.
1: Uh, He obviously saying that uh, he has known him since he was a wee child. Does that play into this at all? I mean, how... uh
2: It only plays into it in that there is an exception that allows gifts from friends.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: But the ethics commissioner, thankfully, has interpreted that gift to say, yes, but if the friend is lobbying you, then it still is something that could be seen reasonably to be a gift given to influence you. And as a result, it can't be given, and you can't accept the gift. Mm -hmm. And hopefully she will uphold that standard. Otherwise, it's going to open up a whole bunch of gift-giving allowed by lots of liberals who... Justin Trudeau can call friends, because he knows a lot of them, who have been hired by lobbying firms because they're friends of his, and they'll start giving him gifts as a way of influencing him.
1: Mm. Now, is the gift the vacation or the flight over? Uh, Both, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: actually. And uh, there's a special rule, though, for taking flights on private aircraft. It was put in place uh, more than a decade ago when uh, some Chrétien liberal cabinet ministers were caught taking uh, private flights from the Irvings in New Brunswick to go to the Irvings fishing lodge.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: And it was a gift scandal at the time because the Irvings were registered to lobby those ministers. And um, what Chrétien did was pretend there wasn't a rule against such gifts and said, oh, there should be a rule against accepting this and we'll put in a new rule. So he let them all off the hook and in this new specific rule that's been there ever since. It's not needed because if you're taking a flight, a, a private aircraft flight from somebody, you're accepting a gift from them and that's already prevented, uh, prohibited under Section 11. But if there is a specific rule and uh, there's only a couple of sec- except exceptions allowed. If the Ethics Commissioner approves it, if you have to do it for your public duties, like if Trudeau had to get back to Ottawa suddenly and was in some place where there were no uh, public uh, airline flights and he had to take a private aircraft. Or if there's exceptional circumstances. But that would only mean, again, where there's no other way to get there except except the gift of flight on someone's private aircraft. And there was another way to get there. He could have rented his own helicopter and paid for it.
1: Hmm. Uh, What about the safety and security aspect of it? I mean, uh, usually world leaders aren't allowed to travel on anything but specific uh, government vehicles, no?
2: Yeah, I don't think that includes uh, people who are involved in lobbying the federal government's private helicopters. Mm -hmm. It would have been safer for him to hire his own company, which could have been security checked by the RCMP, to know exactly who was flying the plane, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, he just said, oh, okay, I guess the Aga Khan's helicopter and everything is fine for me. I don't know. Did they just do a security check on the pilot and everything? So, you know, if he's trying to claim that, that's just ridiculous because he could have done that with some other private company and pay, paid for it. Mm-hmm. And then he would not be accepting the gift on a private aircraft. He would be paying for the travel on the private aircraft.
1: cap. Uh, he doesn't think there's a conflict. What are your thoughts on his response?
2: He doesn't think there's a conflict when he sells access to himself at high-priced, exclusive uh, private fundraising events at $1,500 a person and has lobbyists involved in organizing those events. So... <laughs> Um, Unfortunately, uh, Prime Minister Trudeau started last December with uh, releasing his uh, mandate letters to ministers saying they have to be honest, impartial, and maintain the highest ethical standards. That was great ethics talk. Mm -hmm. But since last spring, he hasn't been walking the walk since he let the justice minister uh, off the hook. For being behind closed doors with lawyers from law firms who lobby the Justice Department and receive contracts from the Justice Department. And he said that was fine. And I suspect at the time the reason he was saying it was fine was because he was doing it himself. And yes, it's come out that he was doing it himself as well. He was also selling access to people who lobby the federal government uh, at, at uh... even higher price than the Justice Minister. So there's a huge gap between the Trudeau Liberals ethics talk and their ethics walk, their unethical walk, I should say. And they're going to suffer a loss of a lot of voter support because of this uh, huge gap.
1: How do you think this is resonating with Canadians?
2: Well, this is one of the hot-button issues. Every party that has run on the platform of cleaning up politics uh, in the past 20 years, at the provincial level, federal level, and really highlighted that issue, as the Trudeau Liberals did, has won more seats or won the election and the parties that ignore the issues have suffered or who have broken promises to maintain and clean up politics So he's going to suffer it's, it, it doesn't show up when the pollsters ask what are you most concerned about because people are of course concerned about the roof over their head mm-hmm. and that their children's security if they have kids uh... in and, and environment and health care and and all all those things that keep people secure But if you ask people a second question, do you trust politicians to address those concerns that you have? Well, the latest polls show 95% of people don't. They think they're out of touch, that they're doing things to help their friends and themselves, and lobbyists who are high-powered and buying influence. And it's a very hot-button issue that underlies every other issue of concern of Canadians. And that's why it's an issue that swing voters pay attention to the most because they're sick of unethical politics as usual and they want it cleaned up and they will shift their votes to a party that looks like it's going to take it seriously and the Trudeau Liberals have sent a very clear message in the last year that they're not going to take it seriously.
1: Do you think the tone of Canadians' view on politics is changing? And of course this is going to go down south with this discussion and, and Trump and such. When Trump first won, many thought that uh, he had just... Uh, ignited the alt-right and, and got every racist to come out of the closet, blah, 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 blah. Then, of course, after further dissecting it, realized that there was a silent majority middle class there that 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 were... It was a protest vote. They wanted anybody but the establishment. Do you think that's moving north of the border? Do you think that sentiment's crossing the border?
2: Yes, and, and um, Prime Minister Trudeau had a chance because he was saying... Um, and you know, talking to huge crowds connecting with people um, doing a very much open tour during the election uh, and in the first few months after meeting with people he's back at it again trying to recover but he sent a message that I'm part of the elite and uh, that I vacation with the elite and that I'll sell access to those who can afford it and believe me over the last 20 years Politicians that do that and sh- and show that they are they can go out and, and offer free access and do lots of events, but if people know that hey the ones that really get access personal private, small events are the ones who can pay um, they that turns people off almost more than anything uh, you know it's not the same as stealing the public's money, that would definitely rank above it
0: mm-hmm.
2: or doing something that really um, if it's not stealing somehow directs things in the way that, that protect your interests or your family's interests or your friend's interests. Um, those are the, the number, two, number one and number two things that turn off people the most. But this is pretty close, because he can say these things don't influence him and that he's making policies that are in the public interest, but then he's making decisions that lots of people don't think are necessarily in the public interest. And Every one of those decisions is now tainted by the fact that at some point or another he sold access to a lobbyist for that private interest and let them have access to him behind closed doors as long as they could pay. And so hes they probably raised a million dollars through these events, and he's given up the reputation of the government for a million dollars, when instead he could have made changes to the political finance system, put back the per-vote funding, which is the most democratic aspect of the system, would, the liberals would receive that million dollars democratically instead of unethically and undemocratically, and they would still have their reputation. So now every reporter in the public, they're going to look at every decision the liberals make and say, was there a lobbyist who paid for access at some point along the way, and is that why this decision is being made this way?
0: Hmm.
2: He's, he's, he's really diminished the trust level, and that will undermine everything his government tries to do.
1: Uh, you talked about the town halls, uh, I can see now he's live in Peterborough uh, making a speech. Uh, the Timmy tour, the church basement tour, whatever you want to call it, uh, he's clearly recognized this, he's, he's a smart guy that way, he understands when it's going off the rails and seems to be pulling back, and it appears that people still love him, does it not? I mean, how do you think this is going to play out by the time he's finished this?
2: Uh, more scandals coming, uh, unfortunately. Is
1: this a reconnection tour for him?
2: Yeah, he's trying, but I think it's uh, too little too late if he doesn't also change the system. He's, if he doesn't stop cash for access, then there are going to be more and more stories, and everyone, every one of those stories is going to be a hit against the government. He has to stop big money donations by changing the, the political finance system in the same way that Quebec did in 2013, lower the donation limit to an a- amount an average person can afford, which is 100 to $200, and stop selling access to himself at these events. But he's continued the events through the fall, continued them uh, now as the holiday, and I'm sure is back at doing the events, as are several of his ministers. And reporters are going to keep digging and trying to find more and more connections. Um, You know, there's one report just before Christmas about people actually being asked to pay $5,000 to come to an event when the donation limit is $1,200. That's directly illegal. So if that one pans out,
1: Aren't there ways around that? When you think about it, though, or is there not ways to uh, to get around those rules? Add different things to the bill. This, that, the other, or is it very clear? Is it very cut and dry? Right now, mm-hmm.
2: there's no way to get around that. No, no one can cut a check, write a check for somebody else yeah. under our elections law. So, if someone wrote a five thousand dollar check and said these two other people is for these two other people, it's not allowed. That's a violation of the law. Yeah. So, you know do what Quebec did in the face of a corruption scandal. It was a huge corruption scandal in Quebec. Prevent the corruption scandal at the federal level, restore trust by changing the the donation system, and strengthening the ethics rules so that no one's allowed to be in the appearance of a conflict of interest. That's the rule in Prime Minister Trudeau's code. If that is such an important rule, which he said it was to his ministers last December, December 2015, you have to maintain the highest ethical standards. You can't be in, in the appearance of a conflict of interest. Well, if he wants that standard maintained, put it in the law so that everyone's legally required to follow it. Right now, it's in his code, and whenever one of his ministers has been found in the appearance of a conflict of interest, he's refused to even answer the question as to how they are not violating his rule. So he's not enforcing the rule. He's clearly saying it's not important. Um, But at the same time maintaining that the government upholds the highest ethical standards, it just does not add up.
1: Uh, as far as his uh, his Christmas vacation, uh, the fact that it was, or tried to, or people were probing, couldn't find out any information, it appeared like he kept it a, a secret or certainly wasn't telling anybody about it. At the beginning, no one seemed to care. The fact that it seemed to be secretive, did that draw more attention to himself?
2: Of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, a, there's two things in, in politics. Uh, you get caught, and sometimes the violation is not that great, but then you lie about it. Or you try and cover up some part of it, and those two things compound it because you're showing essentially that you know it's bad and, and by trying to hide it or, or being uh, misleading about it. And um, that is something that alerts everybody.
1: What do we know about his race, uh, relationship with Aga Khan? Obviously, it goes back uh, to his father's days. Um, what about transactions? Do we know where money goes?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, it's set out in budgets, line items. The Aga Khan Foundation has received hundreds of millions of dollars from yeah. the federal government and and from the previous conservative government. Yeah. Uh, lobbies the government on a whole bunch of issues, not just for funding, and uh, lobbies the House of Commons as well. We haven't talked about Seamus O'Regan, a Li- liberal MP who's on the trip. On what is
1: what is, the, what is the connection there? Why was he there?
2: A good friend of Trudeau's, as far as I know. Yeah. Um, from, uh, for a long time. I don't know exactly why, where they first met, and the whole history. Um, and then, uh, so he's not allowed to accept that gift either. If the, lo- the Aga Khan Foundation is registered to lobby the House of Commons, may not have lobbied Seamus O'Regan directly. That would have to be explored. Um, but if they even talked about the Aga Khan Foundation at all while they were on the trip, that would be lobbying. And he's there, and he's accepting the gift from the chair of the board of the organization that, is, that uh, lobbies the House of Commons and the government.
1: So, so does Seamus O'Regan have a relationship with Aga Khan as well, or is he there just as no, Trudeau's so guest? He wouldn't
2: be able to say that, oh, I accepted this gift from uh, a friend, and, and try to say that that's the exception that applies and is allowed, mm-hmm. uh, because he's not a friend of the Aga Khan as far as we know. Now, maybe he's he would say, I accepted the gift from Trudeau, not from the Aga Khan, but mm-hmm. you're on the Aga Khan's island. You're accepting the gift from the Aga Khan, even if it's Trudeau. Who is I, is
1: that it? Do we know any more on the guest list? It was Trudeau's family. Uh, and The she...
2: Liberal Party president, Anne Gainey, right. and her husband, um, Michael Pitfield, who is the uh, staff person at an organization called Canada 2020, that is also... Had some ethical problems with the government in terms of getting access to Trudeau, being able to organize events for them, receiving uh, funding for doing those events, when it's all made up of liberals, including himself uh, and others who worked on the Liberal Party's campaign. So it's kind of the think tank of du jour uh, here in Ottawa because it's so liberal connected. But you're not allowed to be a private organization and have the government yeah. just help you and do everything with you as the only organization they do events with and and you know, that they give contracts to to do events or forums because that's Trudeau helping his friends who are liberals who some of whom worked on his campaign. And that's a legal end of the conflict Interest Act as well.
1: Is there, uh, was there any way for Trudeau have d- to have done this on the up and up? Is there any way for him to have gone to that island and, no. and not created this controversy? Or is it, no, it's just, it's off bounds. stay away? Yeah,
2: no, you can't. There's no price you can put on it. Yeah. Because he owns So
1: it. paying for the flights or doing any of that doesn't matter.
2: No. No, they, you know, they could have um, they, they vacationed together as friends. Um,
1: and, and I really what if Trudeau that's... would have had him up to his place? Uh, or, or is it just off limits? I mean, in this case, do you have to forego your friends for a while?
2: No, no, you, you can um, meet with your friends, but you just can't be trading favors with
1: them. Right.
2: Of any kind.
1: Do they look at this like a favor? Because it's not as if either one couldn't afford the freight.
2: What's the price? Yeah. Staying on a private island. I yeah. mean, I a a resort that is that exclusive. Yeah. Probably five to ten thousand dollars per person for a week.
1: I don't I have no idea, so, unfortunately it's out of my pay grade.
2: And most people's, which is part of the problem with the yeah. message that Trudeau's sending, is that hey, this is how I vacation. You know, and I wasn't here for January first, twenty seventeen, the start of Canada's hundred and fiftieth. Um another bad message to be sending. And, I, and as you mentioned, trying to hide it. Um, so he's
1: continually addressing this on his cross-Canada tour. How w- Will this change by the time this tour ends? Will this just continually heat up and he'll have to backtrack? How will the story change, do you think, moving forward?
2: The ethics commissioner is looking into it. Hopefully she upholds the standard that she set out in a 2011 guideline on these gift rules that said even uh, lobbyists, Someone who's involved in a lobbying effort, if they gave you a pen with their organization name on it, you shouldn't be seen with that pen if you're making a decision that affects them. A pen, Yeah. a trip to a private island worth tens of thousands of dollars to, your, to yourself and your family.
1: What is your take also, on his... Um, sorry, go he ahead. Said
2: that, yes, there is an exception for gifts from friends, but not if the friend's involved in a lobbying effort. Friends involved in a lobbying effort, then um, sorry, you you can't accept the gift. So I hope she upholds that. I hope she doesn't let him off the hook by saying, "Oh, just repay him some amount that I've calculated as the market value," mm-hmm. and therefore it goes away. Um, but she tends to do that. You know, this is the ethics commissioner who let conservative ministers and MPs off the hook for handing out government checks, the taxpayers' money big government checks that had conservative party logo on them and she said oh no problem here and she's let dozens of people off the hook often in secret rulings
1: what is your take on trudeau's first year uh in office his performance uh obviously some disappointment here uh there's some people that are a little upset with his choices on the environment and pipelines and such aboriginal as well, issues that, uh, that you know, people thought were different prior to the election. What are your thoughts on the first year?
2: If I can just say one other thing. Democracy Watch's position is the Ethics Commissioner should not be ruling on this issue or any issue to do with the Trudeau cabinet because they just handed her a six-month contract worth $100,000. Hmm. And if that contract gets renewed for another six months or seven years, the decision is made by Trudeau. So the ethics commissioner is currently investigating Trudeau, and she's saying, oh, it's fine, I can investigate him and make rulings uh, about him. But whether I have a job past July depends on whether Trudeau wants me to continue to have his job and be his ethics watchdog or maybe his ethics lapdog. So she's in the appearance of a conflict of interest, and she should refer it to a provincial ethics commissioner uh, who would be independent of the prime minister. Um, In terms of the first year, uh, lots of people were complaining, saying, "Oh, they haven't made decisions. They're consulting. They're consulting." No one in a democracy should complain about a government consulting before they make decisions. So that was one of the best things the Trudeau Liberals did: was they went out and talked to people, and they let lots of time for people to respond to proposals the government was making. Uh, they didn't do as the previous Conservative government did often, which was, "Here's the decision. Yeah. Oh no, we're not consulting at all." And um, Then they went and made decisions, tough decisions. You know, people have to decide for themselves. I'm not an expert in any of those areas, assisted suicide, Aboriginal relations, uh, the environment. I work on on the process issues. The one thing is they have not been doing meaningful consultations, especially on electoral reform. Uh, That's just to give one example. They had a committee that traveled. The people who show up at the hearings of that committee are people who... are interested in the issue. They don't necessarily represent all voters. And then they put up a website and said, go to the website. Well, anyone who goes to the website is going to be interested as well and not necessarily representative demographically of all voters. They have not done a meaningful consultation. They should have done it. They should have followed the method that Sweden uses, which are small groups of people who study an issue for three or four sessions and then report what they think the government should do. They could have involved thousands of people. It would have cost the same amount as the committee traveling. And they would have had a result that would have shown what most voters want the most. And you can't make a decision as a government that reflects Canadians' values, which is what the Liberals have committed to do in every decision they make, unless you know what most voters want the most.
1: Duff Conacher has been with us, board member with Discovery Watch in Ottawa, talking about Prime Minister Trudeau and conflicts of interest in regard to uh, Christmas and such. Duff, thank you for the time. Much appreciated.
2: Yeah, and just to clarify, it's Democracy Watch, and people can see much more at democracywatch.ca or stopbigmoney.ca.
1: Thank you, Duff. Much appreciated. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. And the whole VW scandal broke and and you know the whole thing behind uh, fixing the emission test. So when you went in to get your car, uh, have an emission test on it, uh, as soon as it got into testing mode, it would alter the software in some way and give out a cleaner reading than it was when the car was out on the road performing and it's doing its natural duties. So, of course, VW got caught, uh, still paying the price. Uh, We're we're certainly seeing uh, not only uh, their sales drop and and the amount of money it's cost the company, but now it appears charges have been laid in the United States in regard to all of this. We wondered way back when, when this all started, "Mm -hmm, is there someone else doing this? Is this just the first domino to drop? Uh, And it turns out that is exactly the case, or certainly looks like it. Uh, The EPA is calling out Fiat Chrysler, saying that they use software that enabled some of its diesel trucks to cheat on emission tests. To talk more about all of this, Tony Feria is with us, University of Windsor, Professor Emeritus, Department of Marketing, Odette School of Business, and Co-Director of the Office of Automotive and Vehicle Research, and is with us now. Hello, Tony. How are you today? I'm pretty good. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We appreciate this. Tony, are you surprised to hear that there's another company doing this?
3: Uh, not really surprised to hear the type of uh, announcement with regard to FCA. The uh, rules regulations are are so complicated now with regard to identifying fuel efficiency, uh, identifying emissions and so on that uh it's almost in- inevitable there's going to be differences of opinion between the uh EPA and Environment Canada and the auto companies as to what readings uh companies uh, are getting for for their engines and at this stage at least uh, we're we're only at a situation where the EPA uh is questioning uh some software on the uh, the Chrysler diesel engines Uh, in question, and Fiat Chrysler at this point has denied that uh, these are uh, hidden uh, cheat devices. So we'll see over time how that works out. Uh, I'm certainly uh, very hopeful that Fiat Chrysler has not tried to cheat on this the way Volkswagen did, but uh, we'll see how it plays out.
1: Is this a very similar case to the VW case? I mean, what are there similarities? Or you said that it was complicated. So d- does this mean this could be a different scenario, or is it very similar to what they were doing?
3: Well, at this point, all we know is that uh, uh, since the uh, Volkswagen scandal has uh, come about, starting uh, over a year ago, ago the uh, EPA in the U.S. has uh, undertaken far more extensive testing of all diesel vehicles that are being sold in the U.S., and under this far more extensive testing, the EPA has identified that on the 3-liter engines that are uh, sold, diesel engines that are sold on some Grand Cherokee and Ram pickup vehicles, there are, so, there are uh, up to eight uh, software packages Uh, operating that Fiat Chrysler did not tell the EPA about. So these were sort of hidden devices, uh, so to speak, uh, in the software packages on the engines. And any hidden devices are automatically just uh, labeled as defeat devices by the EPA, whether these are actually defeat devices or simply the legal devices, as FCA uh, says, that allow emissions to be controlled and adjusted under different conditions, such as vehicles pulling a very heavy load uh, or vehicles uh, driving uh, uphill or something of that nature, uh, remains to be seen. Uh, Again, it's not known if these are defeat devices in the sense of the, the Volkswagen software packages.
1: Would the EPA bring something like this to the surface, though, without some pretty good evidence? Uh, it almost sounds like this may not be the same as the VW thing, that due to different testing now, maybe more are going to get caught. Is that an out for Chrysler saying, well, under the old ways, you looked at it as we were fine, but if you start looking and doing more tests, maybe something isn't, isn't compatible here?
3: Well, certainly under much closer testing, we're probably going to see more things come out from uh, EPA investigations, Uh, with regard to these particular devices or these software packages in in this case, uh, what angered Sergio Marchion so much in his statements uh, yesterday was that he believes this was the wrong way for the EPA to uh, announce that they've uh, found some uh, software Uh, discrepancies with with the uh, FCA vehicles that, in fact, this should have been just brought to Fiat Chrysler and they could have uh, worked together to figure out uh, what was the function of these software packages and uh, allowing FCA, presumably, to prove that they were not defeat devices. This should not have been made public by the uh, uh, EPA. Uh, And Fiat Chrysler, at least up to this point, has uh, made available any documents that the EPA would want. Uh, On the EPA side, certainly uh, agencies of this nature nature must try to uh, prove the worthiness of their existence. So very often uh, they might be a a little bit uh, too quick to jump the gun on some things. Well, we'll see. Maybe the EPA is, is correct in charging Fiat Chrysler with uh, evading the law. Maybe Fiat Chrysler is going to be able to uh, defend their position and show that while they did not uh, announce to the EPA that th- these software packages were part of the engine so- software, that in fact, though, that they are perfectly legal and operate exactly the way the raw law is written, that they're allowed to operate.
1: What, uh, obviously, this has hurt the company. Their stock price dipped uh, 13%. From a public relations standpoint, how damaging is this to Chrysler?
3: This is definitely damaging, and that's, uh, I guess, the main reason why Sergio Marcion was so irritated yesterday in, in his comments, uh, that the EPA went public with some charges that the Fiat Chrysler feels are not uh, correct, not true charges uh, he didn 't feel the EPA should uh, make this public very public announcement because, as you say, this is a, a very uh, serious PR issue for Fiat Chrysler they're being charged with cheating the public, cheating their their customers on the products they 're buying, and uh, if that 's the case, that is a real black eye for Fiat Chrysler if it 's not the case then this is some uh, publicity that, uh, unfortunately, has come about. You would have is, to think that the EP.
1: You would have to think that the EPA must at least have its ducks in a row because wouldn't they be fearful of a lawsuit because of that loss of business?
3: Uh, the the EPA hopefully would have its uh, ducks in the row and certainly would uh, come under a, an awful lot of. Uh, uh, pressure and difficulty themselves if they were found to be making charges that uh, are uh, absolutely uh, incorrect uh, and certainly the EPA has some uh, good technicians uh, engineers and so on who are conducting these tests but on the other side of the, the fence uh, certainly so does FCA so it is uh, I guess it does come down to the issue uh, was uh, FCA hiding something on these products uh or was this in fact something that uh based under very very difficult laws to follow uh in in all cases with regard to emissions controls and so on, was this an honest error on on the part of uh f c a but certainly with the investigation ongoing now, we are uh, probably going to find out about that over over time
1: uh you talked about how complicated this has become now uh do you think that's intentionally complicated so you can don't have to be as transparent or do you think it's with technology things are vague and is it possible chrysler could use this as an excuse
3: well certainly the the technology is very very intricate and very advanced very difficult And certainly uh, a lot of the uh, rules and regulations put forth by the multitude of uh, government agencies that oversee every industry, including the auto industry, are so complex and are changing uh, daily, uh, month after month. It's so difficult for companies to interpret a lot of these laws and stay up to date uh, on being in compliance with all these laws that uh, certainly the company side is, is difficult too. So uh, this could turn out to be a, a very honest uh, uh, difference of opinion between Fiat Chrysler and, and the EPA with Fiat Chrysler believing they are following the letter of the law and uh, the EPA believing they are not.
1: So where does this leave other companies? Uh, you know, when we chatted about this in the past after the VW incident last year, um, you know, many wondered if it was the tip of the iceberg and it would only be a matter of time before others started to fall. Is that, is that what's happening here? Uh, you would think that the other car companies, as soon as VW went through this, uh, immediately might change the way they think. Your thoughts?
3: Uh, certainly, uh, with these uh, environmental protection agencies, other government agencies becoming more and more vigilant, in their oversight of the, their areas of, of concern uh, and getting a, additional government funding to uh, undertake their work, they are probably going to come up with, uh, because they have to justify their existence, mm-hmm. they are probably going to come up with more findings over time that uh, companies have violated uh, either knowingly or unknowingly uh, one regulation or, or another regulation And I think little by little we're going to have to try and work out in the future some better guidelines because, uh, well, as you know, automobiles are incredibly complex uh, products nowadays with uh, something in the neighborhood of about 125 uh, mini computers controlling every operation of the vehicles. They are so complex; uh, it's often difficult to be compliant with ever-changing regulations uh, that are coming forward from these agencies.
1: Would any of the other car companies learn something from the VW scenario? Would it, you know? At what point did they say, "Hey, we got to look inward here and make sure we don't get caught in this crossfire"? Do you think any of that happened here? I'm,
3: I'm, I'm sure that's going on all the time across these uh, companies now. When you you look at uh, how badly uh, Volkswagen uh, fared in the press over a long period of time, the multi, multi multi-billions of dollars in fines they're paying, the restitution they have to make to the owners of uh, globally uh, a few million uh, Volkswagen diesel vehicles, uh, certainly every other auto company, does not want to get into situations uh, of that nature. Uh, a problem such as Volkswagen's or a, a problem such as General Motors' ignition switch right. or uh, Toyota's uh, sudden acceleration issue uh, a few years ago is a major headache for the companies, a major cost. To the company.
1: It seemed though it seemed though, Tony, that those other ones, people, maybe with the exception of the General Motors ignition thing you were talking about because obviously there was death involved in, in that. Um, but it seems as if consumers let this stuff go over time. However, this one was different because it seemed not so much negligence as it did outright cheating. Uh, if we start to see other car companies get caught in the same sort of web, does this offend, will this offense seem less offensive?
3: Well, certainly over time, uh, we start becoming immune to some issues that, that uh, keep coming up over and over and over. And one good uh, example would be uh, automotive recalls. Uh, At one time, consumers used to be a bit concerned about uh, automotive recalls, particularly on the vehicles they owned. Uh, Nowadays, it seems most consumers don't pay attention anymore to automotive recalls because there are so many of them. And data shows that well over half of of all vehicle owners don't respond to recall messages that uh, uh, they receive on the vehicles they own. They don't, that is, they don't take their vehicles in for the necessary repairs. So consumers have become sort of immune to auto- automotive recalls, and, and the same could start happening, in, happening on other issues as well. If they become uh, ongoing and we're hearing about them day after day, at some point we start. Uh, simply sloughing them off and and not uh, paying attention to them.
1: Do you think this is the tip of the iceberg, uh, Tony? Do you think we're going to see more of these as time goes by?
3: Well, we're certainly going to see a a lot of new things coming up in in, in the auto industry. Again, with the complexity of of vehicles the way they are today, and now we're moving towards uh, different types of of vehicles. Uh, We're little by little moving towards the, the driverless autonomous vehicle. These vehicles are going to be even more complex. Uh, We're certainly going to run into new issues uh, on all of this that are going to cause one sort of problem or another. But the big thing we we certainly should hope for is that any uh, problems that arise are honest problems that cropped up uh, for the companies. I would certainly hope we don't see situations where companies deliberately went out there and cheated in
4: mm-hmm.
3: order to make their vehicles supposedly compliant.
1: When will we, we know more was. in regard to the Fiat Chrysler case? Uh,
3: that, could, that might not be for a long time uh, yet. Uh, one of the issues uh, as well right now, of course, is in the U.S. We're transitioning from the Obama pres- presidency to the Trump presidency, And there's going to be a lot of changes in Mm. officials uh, heading up a lot of these agencies and different uh, instructions going to them. The way uh, Donald Trump maybe uh, pursues uh, regulation of the auto industry uh, is going to be a lot different than Obama. And uh, maybe we're going to see uh, an EPA under Donald Trump that isn't nearly as aggressive as the one we've seen under the Obama administration.
1: Interesting. Tony Faria uh, has been with us, University of Windsor, uh, Department of Marketing, Odette School of Business, co-director of the Office of Automotive and Vehicle Research. Tony, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated.
0: Very good talking with you.
1: You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. As you may or may not know, uh, there is a uh, leadership race on right now for the uh, federal conservatives looking for a brand new leader. Of course, uh, Stephen Harper uh, stepping down after his loss in the last election. Uh, We've had Lisa Raitt on, uh, who uh, recently spoke out against Kevin O'Leary and Kelly Leach in regard to uh, the direction they wanted to take the party in. Let's bring in Kelly Leach, candidate for the federal conservative leadership race, MP for Simcoe Gray, and with us now. Hello, Kelly. How are you today?
4: I'm great today, Scott. How are you doing today?
1: I'm doing very well. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us. We very much appreciate it.
4: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it as well.
1: So, uh, obviously, you've been the target of many within your party for your views on immigration. What is your position? Can we clarify it here, and what are they missing?
4: Well, my position is very clear. I I believe that we as Canadians have a unique Canadian identity and a a set of Canadian values that bind us together. Hard work, generosity, freedom, tolerance, a value set that I believe built this country. And what I'm out talking to Canadians about is screening for those Canadian values when immigrants enter the country. Right now, only one in ten immigrants to the country receive a face-to-face interview. That means last year, about 270,000 immigrants entered the country, and actually never met a trained Canadian immigration officer on entry. I think that each immigrant coming to the country should meet a trained immigration officer and have a conversation. It's a a win-win circumstance. It allows uh, the uh, the immigrant to uh, to hear about our country and what we uh, what we value, and uh, also would allow them to uh, to better integrate. and And this is, comes from a you know, a recommendation uh, overall of uh, from the Senate Standing Committee in, in 2014. And I, I think that it's something very valuable the country should move forward on.
1: So only one in ten now who are immigrating to this country will receive a face-to-face interview of some sort?
4: On average, that's what's happening. You know, there's been this huge pressure from the government to meet quotas. And uh, there's been publications that have been put forward basically saying that, you know, each immigration officer can only spend three, maybe five minutes on each application form of an immigrant. I think that we can do a better job of that. And, you know, in comparison to the other candidates in our our race for the Conservative leadership, you know, they all want to talk about the economy and that being the sole issue. But what I'm finding is that the average guy and gal out there, average Canadian, want to talk about the economy. Obviously, that's very important. But they also want to talk about some of these other issues. And what's coming top of mind to everyone is Canadian values and the uh, the concern that we need to actually be on top of the immigration process for our country.
1: I can see many saying that it would seem odd that someone who is immigrating to this country does not go through some sort of personal interview and that everyone should. I, I can honestly see Canadians jumping on board that. Has that gotten lost in the sauce with the whole screening of values? I mean, there's one thing to have an interview. Do we need to screen for values?
4: Well, I think it's important. And I, I think and what I'm finding is that the majority of Canadians think is important is that when individuals are entering our country, they have an idea of, of what they're coming to. And that- do, you, do you not yeah. think
1: that? Sorry to interrupt, Kelly, but don't that's you think awesome. that that's kind of that that's happening already? That um, and maybe I'm being naive here, but uh, do you not think we sort of, you know, vet that sort of thing already, as far as criminal checks, background checks, that sort of thing?
4: We absolutely do security checks and health checks. What I'm talking about is just making sure that value structure that built our country and has made our country so strong is also in check. And that means, you know, as I've been asked in the past, you know, do you, be- asking a question like, do you believe in the equality of men and women? You know, in this country, we embrace uh, the opportunities for whether you're a-, a young boy or a young girl, an older woman, an older man, that you have the same equality of opportunity. And I think it's important people entering this country understand that we have a value structure that we hold dear. For the majority of immigrants, I think for individuals that are coming here, to your point, they have an idea in their mind of what Canada is about. They want to come to this country because we embrace freedom and tolerance. And uh, they're choosing to become part of that value set. I think we should be talking to people
1: about it. Uh, I was going to ask you how we screen for Canadian values, but you've just given me an example there. Uh, Mm -hmm. Do you believe in equal rights for men or women? What if they say no, and that's their religious belief? I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh, That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to have terrorist tendencies or anything, but aren't we invading their personal uh, uh, right to have whatever belief they want as long as they obey the law?
4: Well, look, we have laws in Canada that people must obey. Uh, you're absolutely correct. But I think that us setting out what the rules of engagement are, of what we are as a, uh, a free and tolerant people is important for people that are entering the country. And this isn't just, this is obviously uh, something that's top of mind for Canadians. And for myself, as I say, I'm sharing this all over the country. And it's definitely a differentiating factor between myself and the other candidates in this race. As I say, uh, you know, whether it be Lisa Raitt or Kevin O'Leary or Maxime Bernier, I really want to talk about the economy but they seem to have had the, uh, the conservatism scared out of them and, joining the elites on some of these other issues that I've been talking about.
1: Uh, After the Conservative loss of the last election, your party alluded to a softer, kinder approach. What happened there? I mean, you yourself teared up after your involvement in the barbaric snitch line. Why the divisive approach? Or do you view it that way?
4: I don't view this as a divisive approach. You know, two-thirds of Canadians agree with this policy stance. Uh, You know, I'm bringing forward ideas that the the average canadian wants to talk about and what i find interesting is that there are a number of elites in this country individuals even in my own party who seem to have sided with the elite that don't want to talk about screening immigrants entering canada don't want to talk about empowering women with pepper spray and mace so they can defend themselves don't want to talk about some of these issues but i can tell you that people in my riding in downtown collingwood And individuals I've met, I'm in Montreal today, and individuals I met in Quebec City earlier this week, and individuals who are, I know, all across the province of Ontario and western Canada, they want to talk about these issues, and I'm not going to back down. I'm going to continue to talk about what the guy and gal on the street really care about, because they deserve a voice in Parliament.
1: Uh, we talked to Lisa Rait uh, after she launched her Stop Kevin O'Leary website. She included you in that mix, saying that you're taking the party uh, backwards and it will take a, a decade to recover. Why do you seem to be going in the direction the party doesn't want to go in?
4: Because the average Canadian wants these issues talked about. And I see the path of beating Justin Trudeau in the next election campaign is very clear. One goes out and listens to Canadians. Canadians come first. And what they are interested in talking about are the things I'm going to articulate and articulate them loud and strong. So whether that be, as I say, screening immigrants for Canadian values and talking about protecting women, capping government spending so that uh, we force the government of Canada to live within its means, just like you know, I'm sure people in downtown Hamilton have to do every single day, prioritizing for their families these are the things that I'm going to be talking about because I'm hearing from our party membership across the country. I'm hearing from Canadians across the country. And if the majority of people are with you, you usually feel pretty empowered, and I'm going to keep talking about these things that they care about. In my mind, Canadians come first. and We have to make sure that uh, their voice is being heard.
1: Uh, What seems to irritate people, Kelly, is the language. Is your path to victory uh, for you appealing to the extreme right? I mean, uh, is it the language that you're using, screening for Canadian values as opposed to maybe screening for Canadian law? Uh, What does that play into this?
4: Well, look, I, you know, if you're, uh, uh, you know, part of the uh, media elite in downtown Toronto and that word rubs you the wrong way and you overreact, I, I get it, but... I can tell you when I'm talking to uh, to folks in, in uh, Kelowna, B.C., uh, when I'm out with my brothers, that language is perfectly fine for them. And what they do articulate to me is that because of things like that, because of talking in a different language...
1: Politically co- Is it like being po- politically correct, perhaps?
4: A little politically correct. That might be a really good way of putting it. But they, as, as average Canadians, feel like they're being left behind by these elites and that their ideas are not being heard. And I don't want the average hard-working Canadian. I don't want the average senior. I don't want I don't want individuals who are in the military or, or out there defending our country to feel that their government, that their leadership is leaving them behind. But increasingly, that's how they're feeling, and I'm going to continue to be out there listening to them and, and using the language that they know and understand and like. Um, and if I uh, take a few more uh, hits from... Uh, uh, a commentator in downtown Toronto who uh, who's an elite. It's okay with me because I'd rather have the guy on Main Street defending me.
1: Hmm. Uh, you offered congratulations to Donald Trump when he won the U.S. election. What do you and Donald <laughs> Trump have in common? Where do you differ?
4: Well, I think we're, what we have in common is that uh, we both, in our campaigns, have identified that there's this growing gulf between the elites in our countries and uh, and and average folk. And that average folk feel they're being, as I said before, left behind. And the true message from the American election is that those people step forward and, and they found a voice for themselves. And I know that Canadians are feeling the same way. Um, but do I, am I talking some of the same language? Yes, I talk about screening immigrants for Canadian values. I'm talking about slowing down uh, the immigration process. I'm talking about getting our fiscal house in order. I uh, want to make sure that the Keystone Pipeline actually takes place so Albertans have jobs again. I uh, These things are very important to me.
1: How do you, you differ? Know,
4: how do we differ? Well, last I checked, I'm a woman. <laughs> 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 and uh, I uh, I think that where we, we also differ is that I, uh, I don't... Uh, necessarily get the, the same coverage as, as Mr. Trump. He definitely uh, has a, a significant amount of notoriety. I'm just a simple pediatric orthopedic surgeon who got elected in 2011. So uh, I think there's definitely some differences from, of where we've come from. And uh, we definitely have a different approach here in Canada sometimes and in, in the United States, and that's okay.
1: Are you worried? You talked about coverage. Are you worried you're being compared to Donald Trump or accused of using his tactics?
4: No. Uh, you know, for myself, I'm very confident in my campaign team and, and in myself that what our focus is is being successful in 2019 against Justin Trudeau. Uh, I'm very confident that I'm going to win the leadership campaign this year, and that means that we have to have a strong, stable policy platform for defeating Trudeau in 2019. And we're going to continue to talk about those things that are important to Canadians, whether uh, individuals decide to compare me to 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 Donald Trump or other people, Uh, they can continue to do so. But I'm just going to continue to talk about the things that are important to Canadians and make sure Canadians know that, in my mind, their well-being comes first. And, you know, this is in direct contrast to our current prime minister. Our current prime minister is gallivanting around the globe, giving away billions of dollars to other countries so that he can, you know, secure himself a seat at the United Nations. For me, I want to be prime minister of Canada I'm focused on that and focused on taking care
1: of Canadians. Uh, with uh, people like Lisa Raitt or the Lisa Raitts of the world and, and other members of your party that have spoke out against you, do you think that helps or hurts you? Considering, um, well, <laughs> considering the backlash in the United States and, and, and obviously what turned out to be a protest vote there.
4: Well, what Lisa has done is really drawn a line in the sand. And she said that there's a, a group of us on one side of it that that are elites and think in a certain liberal manner. And, and with her, she she actually does have Kevin O'Leary, who wants to just talk about the economy, and has liberal views on these social issues, and, and also uh, Maxine Bernier is in the same boat. Whereas for myself, uh, I'm on the other side of that line. And I'm talking about, obviously, fiscal policy, capping government spending, making sure we get our finances in order, but also having a very conservative view with respect to how we should approach these other social issues around immigration and making sure women can defend themselves. Uh,
1: Have we become a world of extremes, Kelly? What happened to the center? It seems like it's either (laughs) far left, far right.
4: See, I don't view these as extremes. You know, I I think... uh, and you, I'm sure you hear a lot on your radio talk show of people that call in with different viewpoints.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, you know, what I'm hearing across the country, I don't view as extreme. Uh, when two thirds of Canadians agree with your position on uh, screening for Canadian values and, and think that immigrants should receive a face to face interview, I view that as the majority and very close to the middle. I don't view that as extreme, and, and I don't think that two th- thirds of Canadians are extremists by any means.
1: Uh, How do you come up with two-thirds?
4: Well, there's been a number of uh, public opinion polls, actually, and uh, they have repetitively shown that that number, around two-thirds of Canadians, agree with this policy position.
1: Uh, are you worried that by the time the leadership convention is here, the Trump phenomenon will have re- reversed? And obviously, I'm saying that because a lot have said you're bringing Trump-style politics to Canada. They just keep comparing you to Trump as if it's uh, you know a bad word sort of thing. Uh, I- I'm not making a you know a judgment either way, but uh, they've certainly put you into that camp. Does that worry you at all? Does that bother you at all? How do you separate that—the good from the bad? I guess.
4: I guess as a mentioned before already uh, through our conversation is that I, uh, my, my focus for this race is obviously having the members of the Conservative Party and uh, individuals who are conservatively-minded in the, in the country join our party so that they can support me in the leadership. Um, as I talk to people across the country, not just Conservatives, you know, every regular, every day, Canadians either going to school or going to work they actually say the same things. And so individuals who, who want to grasp at straws that want to make me out to be something I'm not, that's fine. Um, but one thing I have learned through this process is that when I talk about things that Canadians care about, every day, 10, 50, 100, 1,000 people email my office and say, please keep talking about these issues. They're important to me. They're important to my family. They're important to our country. And please don't back down. Stand your ground and keep talking about them. And I feel very supported by the Canadian public, by Canadians across the country who uh, feel passionately about these issues. So I'm going to keep talking about them. And I i have no concern about comparisons to, uh, to other individuals. I'm comfortable in my own skin and who I am, and I have a great campaign team supporting me in my campaign efforts.
1: Obviously Donald Trump has a side which uh misogynistic not a lot of people like uh, uh his view on the wall perhaps Muslims is that the same view that Kelly Leach shares?
4: No. I uh, you know, but I don't have the I don't have the latitude of having my personal viewpoints on these things brought forward. Right? Well, you could always pick I up be... you could always
1: pick up Twitter, Kelly. <laughs> <laughs>
4: yeah, that's right. I could do that. Um <laughs> You know, but I, I plan to be the next prime minister of this country, and I don't have the latitude of ha- letting my personal viewpoints on these things get in the way. I have to make sure that the interests of Canadians come first.
1: All right. When- those,
4: interests, you know, those interests mean having a good, strong, working relationship with the next president of the United States, and I will continue to try to work with him on the issues that he and I would have in common, and that means talking some of the same language, and that means talking about a number of the same ideas.
1: Uh, Last question, what do you want Canadians to know about Kelly Leach they may not know?
4: That they may not know.
1: Or that certainly isn't being perceived in the media or come out in in the message that you're trying to create.
4: Well, I I want Canadians to know that when I pick an issue that I'm passionate about, I won't back down, that I'll stand my ground and I'll continue to articulate that. Um, I guess the other thing that would be nice for them to know is that I still am a, a practicing pediatric orthopedic surgeon. I uh, I volunteer my time at the Children's Hospital in Ottawa and call, and, and those experiences, meeting parents and patients, just like meeting constituents in my riding, keep me grounded. They allow me every single week, every month, to hear directly from Canadians the things that they care about. And uh, I think that's what's going to help me continue to be a strong candidate in this race, it's going to help me win this race, and it's going to help me become the next prime minister of this country in 2019.
1: Okay, I said last question, I have fibbed, there's one more. Um, <laughs> no, there's what one would one. you What would you say to immigrants, Muslims, whatever, who may be fearful of what you're saying and drawing the comparison to Trump and such, what would you say to, to them?
4: I say to all individuals in the country, you chose to come to Canada Because we have a value set, and I know you embrace it, and I want to make sure that that value set is the one that we, as as a people, continue to protect. And I know that no matter what your religious background, no matter what your ethnic background was, that you chose Canada and you're here now today, that you believe that hard work, generosity, freedom, and tolerance are the values that bind our country together. They bind us together as a people. They are our identity and that uh, you're going to go out and promote them and protect them as well.
1: All right, that was the last question. Uh, Kelly Leach has been (laughs) with us, candidate for the federal conservative leadership, MP for Simcoe Gray. Kelly, thank you for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Good luck.
4: Thanks for having me. The Scott Thompson
1: Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.